Hey there, where have you been? Welcome to the No Jet Stress podcast, the show that helps you maintain optimal health and peak performance as a road warrior, no matter how much you travel. I'm your host, Christopher Babiodi, traveler wellness advocate, nutritional therapist, author, and ex-flight attendant of 20 years at British Airways, one of the UK's largest airlines. In this episode of the No Jet Stress podcast, join me on a flight of fancy with real-world implications for business traveller well-being. I've got a question for you. What do Star Wars, Star Trek, Babylon 5, Battlestar Galactica have in common? Space travel, of course. It's ubiquitous. What has Elon Musk got to do with business traveller wellness. We're going to discuss this and more in this episode of the No Jet Stress podcast. Stay tuned. A quick overview of this episode looks at the question of making humanity a multi-planetary species, the challenges that face this ambitious goal, what this has to do with business traveller well-being, how we might chunk space travel's ambitions to the here and now of business traveller challenges, as, as far as health is concerned, a look at some data, and then we're going to round it out with a recap and some observations and tips of where we can get started. Elon Musk's vision and exhortation for humanity to become a multi-planetary species is instructive. Why? Well, in order for humanity to colonise Mars, for instance, it faces two distinct types of challenges. Broadly speaking, these are technical challenges and human limitation health-related challenges. Now, it's not the first time that people have sought to find solutions to how we get a healthy human being from Earth to Mars, considering the distance and the journey and all the other things that can go wrong along the way. But recently, there have been some papers published that lay out the scope of the challenge distinctly into these two groups, technical challenges and health-related challenges. Technical challenges evolve around the spacecrafts and fuel management, radiation and microgravity, and flight trajectory management, as well as corrective manoeuvres. So those are challenges that we pretty much have armies of engineers, technicians and skilled people working to manage and get good solutions for. On the other hand, we have the health challenges, which are mentioned alongside the technical challenges. So we can really see that this is something that they understand to be quite a serious set of problems. And they are stated as isolation and physiological, sorry, psychological issues. Having the health to withstand the journey in terms of things like the radiation exposure implications on health and things of that nature. With these types of challenges, you have to ask the question, where does this leave the lofty goal of conquering Mars? It's interesting to note the kind of setback in terms of what was previously set out. For instance, Elon wanted to have 
a two-person mission beyond the orbit of the moon uh, by 2018. Well, that hasn't happened. I think the best thing he's done, I don't really mean that literally, has launched his uh, his Tesla, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, into orbit, which was interesting to say the least. So solutions to these challenges are obviously still in the works. And who knows, maybe technology will actually be able to provide some really good solutions. But for the meantime, we really have to see what we can do in anticipation of the fact that the technological side, as far as the mechanics of space travel, might be solved uh, sooner uh, than than we can solve the the human health-related limitations side of the challenges. God forbid we actually solve the technological side challenges only to be able to send nicely kitted out aircraft to Mars with empty seats because we can't stand the journey. If humanity is to populate Mars and become multi-planetary, it can't be the exclusive domain of specialists. And by specialists, I mean the likes of the military or astronauts who have special types of training that make them more resilient um, than most. We have to democratise the ability to travel well for astronauts, specialists, as well as Joe Bloggs in the public, who eventually might have to move planet. We will have to learn to cope with space travel for sure, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. First off, let's figure out subspace travel, which is air travel. For some context here, we can't get anyone from Los Angeles to London or Singapore or wherever else on a long-haul flight without them experiencing some form of jet lag and travel friction. And we want to go to Mars, right? So, a reality check over. In the airline travel stakes, business travellers and road warriors are the tip of the spear. When we look at business travellers, the prognosis in terms of their ability to manage journeys still within the Earth's orbit is pretty limited. That's why we have the challenges we face in terms of business traveller well-being. Business travellers are burnt out under the physiological strain of air travel. Business travellers find it hard to readjust when they get back home. Business travellers are more liable to have mental health challenges the more intense they travel, and according to the intensity of the itineraries that they're pursuing. If we take the business traveller as a yardstick for how humanity would potentially do with regards to travelling beyond the Earth's orbit, then I think it's safe to say that we're not in good shape in order to be able to accomplish space travel and maintain health. So it starts with looking at business traveller, road warrior, health and things that we can do right here, right now. And in order to set out the types of goal that we're aiming for, I'd like to introduce or borrow a phrase that I've heard used, which really sums up what we're looking for here. And that's the idea that we want to have anti-fragile travel. Anti-fragile travel goes beyond being resilient. 
And what I mean by that is, yes, you can develop some flexibility or you can become resilient, but resilience is, it takes a lot more effort to be resilient. And that's not where we want to be. We want to be able to be in a position where we have anti-fragile travel, which means that the harder it gets, the stronger we become because we've built up our ability to become stronger in the face of challenges. My apologies to Nassim Talib, I believe, who is the originator of this idea, but it kind of serves our purpose for an understanding of what we're looking for. How do we become anti-fragile as far as travel is concerned and business traveler well-being? Once upon a time, the phrase moonshot was used to describe the further outreaches of a particular type of goal that you could hope to achieve. That was your moonshot. Well, now we need a Mars shot. A Mars shot is the only way that we're going to healthily get to Mars and sustain the idea of becoming a multi-planetary species. So here's to the Mars shot and what we can do to get that on track. How do we build our Mars shot? It comes back to the here and now. And a good place to start looking is to see the true state of affairs according to the data. A 2018 Harvard Business Review article titled, Just How Bad Is Business Travel for Your Health? Here's the data, shows businesses and individuals suffer while the challenges of travel well-being remain unresolved. The findings highlight a number of health-related issues business travellers have to contend with. For instance, they tend to have higher body mass index scores. They potentially tend to suffer from anxiety, depression, and alcohol dependency. They have little or no physical activity or exercise, and they tend to have trouble sleeping. A particularly disturbing stat was that they are they have a 92% odds of being obese if they travel more than 21 nights away from home compared to those who travel six nights away from home per month. They also tend to have high blood pressure challenges. Some interesting points in the data, for instance, or to my eye, uh, at least from a, um, a solutions perspective, um, are the points about alcohol dependency, little or no physical activity or exercise, and the high blood pressure tendency. Believe it or not, one of the pathways that these come together in terms of solutions are the fact that they are related or can be related to sleep in some way or another. For instance, alcohol dependency. We know that if you're drinking before you go to bed, you're not going to get good quality sleep. We also know on the flip side that if you exercise in the morning, it has a positive beneficial effect on your sleep the coming night. And when it comes to high blood pressure, well, the habit of short sleeping has an effect on blood pressure that is not a desired effect. So if we, for instance, are looking for 
a low-hanging fruit solution, then really sleep is a good place to start, as well as cutting out the habits that don't serve better sleep and encouraging those that do. My apologies to those who have heard me go on about sleep uh, before, and I will do probably many times again in the future, because it seems to be foundational to the type of solution that we can bring to business travellers and road warriors that really has a lot of beneficial effects that set up everything else to be better in terms of business traveller health. What we are seeing here then is yet another piece of research that stacks up to the idea of Scott Cohen in the Darker Side of Hypermobility paper, which talks about people who are hypermobile, which includes business travellers, of course, and the fact that they tend to have health issues related to diabetes, they tend to have mental health challenges, and so on and so forth. Plus, when we look at achieving better business results by T. Clara and Scott Gillespie, again, sleep is the number one thing that business travellers are crying out for solutions to. Now, on a practical level, there are things the individual can do. And I don't mean this um, in passing. I mean solid specific solutions that you can do in terms of your personal ability to make sure you get decent sleep, whether this be better sleep hygiene, you know, um, PM rituals around sleep, sleep tech, sleep gadgets, and being prepared and getting more educated about sleep, about sleep. And at the same time, there are things organisations can do, which involve giving them the training, the technology in terms of the know-how to understand the new dynamic and the role that sleep plays in terms of travel well-being and make sure that these are things that are built into the corporate wellness programs if you like or the subset of corporate wellness programs for their traveling employees and I say that because at the same time we have some organizations that have things like um, quiet rooms or sleep pods. And that's fine and dandy for those who are always at head office. But if they're not, they need solutions that can travel. And those type of solutions are going to best serve them because they're always on the road. Oftentimes, the return on investment in terms of what a corporate can do tends to be a challenge or a sticking point initially before they make a commitment to working with these types of tools. But as you can see, implementing these types of tools is not necessarily a costly uh, expense. And at the same time, the return on investment can pretty much be immediate. And therefore, it should never be something that stops a corporate and uh, the travellers working together to get solutions for. A quick story. When I was at British Airways, the premium that the airline paid for um, safety insurance in terms of its crew was said to be around a million pounds. And this stemmed from the idea that we didn't have good manual handling procedures in place. 
it was costing the company a million pounds. So what did the airline do? They instigated a program where we had training put in place to show crew how to help and not uh, help uh, uh, passengers uh, with their baggage in such a way that they did not put their own health at risk, i.e. sprained ankles, sprained wrists, sprained backs, things of that nature. And once the entire crew had gone through that training, the premium came down to half of a million pounds. So we need that kind of thinking in the traveller wellbeing space, but in detail and specific to the types of challenges that business travellers face. If we can get that thinking from that type of a challenge and solution and apply it to the challenges of business traveller wellbeing, then I think we're on a good path to manage the health better with solutions that satisfy the organisation and the business travellers alike. And that's it for this episode of the No Jet Stress podcast. A vision that can be tied to the reality of business travel and business traveller well-being. Join us in our next episode, but in the meantime, wherever you go, farewell. <laughs>